Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad you could join us today as we go into part number four of Warren Litzman's study of the cross. What an amazing and important study this is. We're so grateful to all the folks at the Christ Life Fellowship for allowing us to go in and bring you these wonderful teaching sessions every week. Let's get right into it. The cross. Here's Warren. The 12th chapter of John is an address made by Jesus under the kingdom auspices. And yet there are things in it that reach beyond the kingdom. I need to say this because you must learn to rightly divide the word of truth. In this 12th chapter, in particular the verses we're dealing with, Jesus is talking about something that the kingdom rejects. The biggest preacher in the kingdom at the time was Peter, and you'll remember just a few days before, Jesus had talked about dying, and Peter openly rebuked him. The Lord knew the devil was behind that, and so it said, Get thee behind me, Satan, thy savors, not the things that be of the Lord. But you know, uh, people didn't accept death. The furthest thing from their mind on Palm Sunday was that Jesus would die that there would be death. And that spirit is still in the kingdom message today. And I'm not being overly critical, but 90% of all Christian churches have bits, pieces, and parts, if not the entirety, of the kingdom message in their presentation. And so I, my, my work is to warn you of how easy it is to lose Christ <coughs> as life, trying to get him to do something for you. The kingdom always wanted Jesus to do something for them, and the last thing they didn't want was his death. They didn't want him to die. And that's why the kingdom, even to this day, is very short on the preaching of the cross. They're short there. They do preach it, but they're short on it because it doesn't fit the kingdom message. The establishment of an earthly kingdom doesn't fit. So I probably will not pick it out each time we go through verses when we're in John, but John's gospel is different than any other gospel, and everybody has noted that. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are historical gospels. John's gospel has less history in it and more of the life that Jesus lived. So there's a bit of difference there. And John's gospel becomes important because I include it in, in grace. And the reason I do that is that John has many statements spoken by Jesus that reach over Calvary and over Pentecost into grace. As many statements in John's gospel that can be interpreted like that. And uh, that stimulated some of you because some of you are now at a, at a video where it's dealing with John 15 and the vine and the branches. And uh, you have to interpret that by rightly dividing the word of truth. The kingdom says that the branches are the believers. 
grace says, they say that the branches are believers that can be cut off because the kingdom gives you no eternal life in Christ now. Uh, they believe in it, but they don't give it to you. Uh, but it isn't the branches cut off. They're joined to Christ's life. It's the ministry and the fruit of those branches that are cut off. He, he, he stopped ministry. You ever seen the Lord stop a ministry? Uh, stop something you were doing maybe. You thought you was really hip doing something important there and all of a sudden the Lord just stopped it. He does that. He didn't cut you off. He cut off what you was doing because it, it didn't necessarily please him. So you have to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. And maybe in some of the verses we're going to deal with, I'll point that out to you because that's very important. John's gospel must be rightly divided. Now, the reason why I include parts of John's gospel into our grace message is because John is the last writer. His gospel was written 30 years after Paul died. So what did he have the benefit of? He had the benefit of Paul's ministry. He had the benefit of the final gospel. And of course, he was under commission from the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote, as did all gospel writers. But he deviated. He deviated from the things that Jesus of Nazareth did and talked about many things Jesus our Lord does. To Christ, same Christ, but in two different forms. And it is important that we see here, as Jesus talks in John 12, that he is delivering a message that has to do a bit with the kingdom, but also has to do with eternal life that belongs to human beings, which soon will be taken care of by his death on the cross. So I want you to see that. And if you ever get worried about it, there are some verses uh, Paul, in his epistles, will give you some verses where half of the verses to Israel and the other half belongs to believers. And it's so important to know your Bible at that state. Uh, most uh, people who teach the Bible are very lazy. Uh, they, they find ways to back up what they believe and what it is they're promoting and they can do that. They can do that with the Greek, for instance. You can bring up a certain word to me from Greek writers, and I'll find three other writers that will disagree, and, or not only disagree, but have different interpretations of that same thing. And I have long said that I want to get people just to take the old King James and believe it like it's written. If you don't understand something, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Because you can get any kind of a notion of a verse of Scripture or a line from men they all can give you something different. But it is important to rightly divide what is for Israel and what is for the church. And in this verse of Scripture, we see, I'm going through this in John 12, because it gives us a good background for why he must die and what is in his death, which is my subject for this time. We're right at the 24th verse now, and I've got to tell you about this 24th verse. When I was hungry to know the Lord, and this hunger struck me somewhere around the year 1958. 
And I had done everything I ever wanted to do for the Lord. I'd preached in the highest, biggest places. I had uh, been on radio and television. I'd done everything I ever wanted to do. And, and a hunger gripped me. What else could I do? What is missing? What is it I don't know about my life? And the thing that stimulated me at that point was this 24th verse of John 12. So what Jesus has to say here. And that verse was my anchor for two years while I sought God. Now, some of you think, well, I'm having trouble coming into this message. I sought God for two years before I ever saw the in Christ message, which is the most plainly written thing in the scriptures. I didn't even see that. I was so blinded by the doctrine we believed that I just skipped over those words. Didn't even think about them. Had no drawing toward them. And so for two years, I was held by this 24th verse and preached on it again and again because I was in the churches in ministering. Uh, let's just read the verse together. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now that was one of the foundation stones in my life because I saw that if I die, I bring forth much fruit. If I don't die, I won't bring forth much fruit. So I was stimulated by the thought, I need to die. Well, I thought about physical things. I thought that the death here meant that something must happen to me severely. Uh, I must uh, begin to do severely things to cut myself with stones or, or uh, do something drastic to be religious. And uh, I didn't understand, but I knew that there must be death. So I want us to look at it as Jesus gives it to us now. Remember, the, one of the greatest crowds he ever had is present. He's on the streets of Jerusalem. He's fulfilling prophecy, writing on, uh, riding on a white coat. And everybody is waving palm branches to him. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It's a big day. It's a day of celebration. And yet Jesus has a very heavy heart at this time. Does he know that he is fulfilling prophecy? I have to believe he does. That this must be so, that the Old Testament had said that he will come into Jerusalem hundreds of years before it would said this thing would take place and he's fulfilling it. What does he know about this crowd? He knows that all their religion is outer. If he stops and heals blind eyes, they stick with him. If he raises somebody from the dead, they're convinced. He knows that the crowd is not real. It's not a real crowd. It's not a real heart crowd. It's not a real spirit crowd. It's like so many crowds we have today. If they see or feel something, great. If they don't, they go somewhere else. So Jesus was in this moment of trial, having to do with who he was. And so his statement is that just like a corn of wheat, a kernel of corn, let's say, Unless it falls into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. A kernel of corn. Corn has a hard shell on it. 
a grain of corn has a hard shell on it, a kernel. That must be broken. That's everything we are in ourself. Everything we are in ourself must be broken. And so he uses the kernel of corn here as an illustration. You plant a seed, a corn seed, a kernel of corn into the ground. It's in the ground and you wonder how in the world anything inside that seed can get through. How are you going to get life through there? Well, it has to go into the ground. When it's put into the ground, it's a very lonely place. Some of you may be at that place right now in your walk with the Lord. You're in a very lonely place. You're in a forgotten place. A lady said to me some time ago that I just had to leave the church where I had great numbers of friends and said, you know, since I left the church, I'm completely forgotten. You see, it's a very lonely place when you come to that area where you know there's more for you. There's a deeper, richer life. And so Jesus uses the kernel of corn as the example. It goes into the ground. It's covered up. It's forgotten. It's lonely. But then what happens? The CNS game is absolutely necessary at that point. Circumstances and situations. What happens when you put a seed in the ground? You cover it up. Looks like it's forgotten how in the world could anything come out of it. It's because the soil of the ground itself is a circumstance that chemically has to do with breaking the seed open. Getting rid of the husk or the hull. The ground is necessary. The rain is necessary. Storms are necessary. Snow is necessary. Everything that happens in life is necessary to the breaking of that husk around the corn. It's got to be broken. What is that? That's breaking through this old self of yours. As long as you claim yourself as a self unto self, you'll never have the fullness of Christ. It's like a law. Like Romans 8 and 2. It's, it's the law, the spirit of life in Christ. And that law is that something must break in your life in order for Christ that's already in you to come forth. A lot of people are not necessary with that. I deal with some ministers. I dealt with one minister, for instance, who said, I believe this message. He was Baptist, had a big church. He said, I believe this message and I want to preach it. But he said, if I make any changes, I'm going to lose this congregation. 
they may put me out of this church. And he said, most of all, I'll lose my life work and I'll lose my pension. He wasn't willing for the circumstances of life to break the shell of what he was. He wanted to continue to be that part of Adam's spirit, Adam's nature, the Adamic life, what had made him who he was. He couldn't forsake it. I have another Baptist friend who the first time he heard this message made the statement to me. He said, if a man was to come into this message, he'd have to start all over. He had gotten it, you see, right off the top. He'd gotten it. And he said, that means that everything I've taught and preached, he had a big church too, just like the other fellow. But he said, if I come into this message, it'll cost me everything. I said, you got it. I said, it's a hard thing to say. I'd love to see you. Uh, we have an idea. Well, why didn't he bring all those people into the message? Oh, you don't get it, do you? It's another life. It's not bettering the same life you've got. It's not adding to the same life you're in. Anybody with any sense knows. I got a fellow right now that's real ad mat. Uh, he, he's hard nosed, let me say, right now. He's going to go back into the church and he's going to change all these people. You know what I said to him? Good luck. God won't help him. Those are God's children there. If they're not hungry, God's not going to force them into something else. So this, this dear brother said it right. I'd have to start all over. And you know what? He did. He resigned the church. He lost his Baptist pension. <laughs> he lost all his friends and started in the Christ life. He took every tape he could get a hold of. He learned all he could. He believed from the first point that I have to start over. If this shell around me has kept Christ from coming out of me, then he said, I'm willing to lose everything that I've had for this Christ. He did, and he does. He's a blessed testimony. So Jesus said, I'm like a corn of wheat. When I fall into the ground and die, I bring forth much fruit. Now look at that 24th verse and do something in your Bible. Draw a circle around the word alone. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. He has contrasted being alone with bringing forth much fruit. So listen to me very closely. How would Jesus react if he knew that everything he was doing in the kingdom message at that time, he was a kingdom preacher, he stated I preach Moses' law. What if he knew at that time everything he was preaching fell short of the glory of God that one day would belong to the birth children of God? 
when he said these things, he must have known there will be another gospel and I will give that gospel to the person God selects. He must have known that. So he knew that what it was he was doing was necessary for this other group of people. Another group of people. That's the group that is specified in Acts 28, 28, Israel's death, dumb and blind, and the gospel now goes to the Gentiles. Another group of people. He must have known that. And this is why that's important. Because he says everything I have done up until now, I have been alone. I have borne no fruit. Are you following me? What did Jesus say about his works? What do we preach today? He turned water into wine. He walked on the water. He fed the loaves and fishes. He healed the little woman the issue of blood. He forgave the little woman taken in adultery. He raised the dead. He spoke as no other man ever spake. On this Palm Sunday, just in front of the cross, what did he say about his life? I have borne no fruit. We preached those things. I did for years. I took every story Jesus had. And I magnified it, glorified it, until one day I came across this verse 24, and I heard him say, I have borne no fruit. I've been alone. Why, Lord, wasn't that good that you healed all these people? No fruit. Wasn't it good you raised at least three from the dead? Isn't that a good thing? No fruit. <clears throat> Are you getting something? I brought you a different gospel. I never use one of those stories now. No fruit there. Why? These are outer things. Israel had an inner blessing coming. She'll get a new heart. You remember, Jeremiah says it. She get a new heart, get a new spirit. But that doesn't come till the nation accepts a Messiah. So everything was out her. He had borne no fruit. How far do you carry that in your mind? 
I've been in a place where I had to judge that. I used to have big crowds. Biggest crowd in our denomination. I could preach to them. God blessed me there. But I look back on it and I wonder, did I bear any fruit? It was outer. I thought to get another miracle. To get something that would stimulate people to follow, to come after. Would that be enough? The world today still follows signs, wonders, and miracles. But do they know Christ is in them? Does that bring them the knowledge that they no longer live? Christ lives in us. Did we get that gospel? Jesus says, I'm like a little kernel of corn. I won't give them life. And he said that. Where was it? John 10, I've come that you might have life and have that more abundantly. But he said they won't get life until I die. I must fall in the ground. Now that's loneliness. But he said, I've been alone all the time in God's plan. Did he know that one day he would be the life of these people so that God could look at them and say, they are my sons and daughters. They are my offsprings. I think that's what carried him on. You skip down to the 37th verse of this chapter. And it said that although he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Now, what am I getting at? I'm not trying to demoralize people on things that are happening in ministries today as much as I'm trying to get to your mind about what a Christian is and what has happened to you. And especially in this session, what took place at the cross. He was looking toward the cross. He said, I born no fruit. Well, let me ask you something about your life. I'm always dealing with people who don't want to give up their ministries. Well, God called me to do this. God sent me to do this. My first thought is, you ought to give that up. Well, you mean God called me? What Jesus say? He was God's son. And he said he had borne no fruit. Until he falls into the ground and dies. There is no fruit. People don't want to give up their life. They don't want to give up all these things that's made them who they are because they think I'll be nothing then. This is a tedious error for me because I'm after people to give up their self to become a Christ self when most don't have a gospel for that. They don't have a map of that journey. And I realize what I'm doing when I say these things, but it has to start somewhere. I have to start somewhere with the Word because 
if you stick with the Word, it'll give you the journey you need to take. It will map out for you every step. But when people say to me, I don't want to lose my ministry. I don't want to give up what I am. People say to me who have talent, I don't want to drop my talent. This is a God-given talent. Maybe he'll use it. Maybe Jesus in you will use your talent. Maybe he don't care about it. Maybe he likes your ministry. Maybe he doesn't. But that's what the cross was all about. When we went to the cross, we started out point blank. Here I am in Christ. He is the life. Does he want to surface some of my old ministry? Does he want to surface some of my talents? Does he want to use something I've made of myself? See, that's what a Christian is. The cross was a place where this purging took place. The cross is a place where what we were died. We didn't come out of the cross alive. We came out of the cross dead. Ready for new life. New creations in Christ Jesus. That's the way we came out of the cross. So that verse is a very stabilizing word for what's going to take place in his death. Could you trust God for new life? Maybe he'll take some part of the old. Maybe he won't. doesn't matter. Christ is your life now. What does Christ need in you as a vehicle for him to be who he is? What does he need? Actually, he needs nothing. But God created you to be something for his glory. So those are the things that Christ is going to use. All the rest of it may be junk. It's Paul saying what things that appeared to be gained to me, I counted lost for the excellency of this knowledge. Ah, what is that knowledge? I found out Christ didn't need me. I found out he didn't need my talent. He didn't need my guitar picking. Nothing against guitar pickers. He didn't need me. He needed a place for Jesus to live. See? He needed a place for Jesus to operate. What is it Jesus wants to use out of you? That part of you which was in God's creation for you. Maybe your talent was a part of that creation. Maybe it was a God-created talent that was put in you. Certainly that's so. I don't have any musical talent, so those who do, that was a God-given thing. But even then, he may not want it. <clears throat> may not fit. I've dealt with people who, by the circumstances and situations of life, had come to a place that they realized that God doesn't need my great talent. That's a love affair. Oh, when you come to that place, you're in a love affair 
with this Jesus within you that's greater than anything. You don't need to be a doer when you come into that kind of love. That's a love affair. Verse 25 says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And there's real, that's a real wisdom there. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Unto life eternal. Does that mean later? No, it means now. You have eternal life in you now. It's not coming. You're not going to get it when you die. You have it now. Whosoever believeth has eternal life right now, instantly. You don't have an eternal body, but you have eternal life. You have eternal spirit. Christ joined to you. He is your spirit. It's eternal. But notice what he says. If you love your life more than you love the Christ into whom you have been placed, you're going to lose your life. See, he that loveth his life shall lose it. What is grace? Grace is God putting Christ in you, knowing that you may never give Christ your life. Only God could take a pole of this room. But there will be a percentage of us here who are going to keep our life regardless. We're going to do our thing if it kills us. Percentage, let's say. We live our life too much to lose it. I can't give you all the rudimentary parts of truth in the losing of your life. I can simply say to you that Christ in you needs nothing brought to him by you that is you. Well, what will he do? He'll begin to operate through us as we are. And in time, we will see that what we thought was the real us wasn't real at all. And it'll easily fall away. Over in Philippians 3, where Paul makes this statement about the loss of all things that made him who he was, he had served God and he had been faithful in service and he came to that place where little by little they fell off. Various things just fell off. Well, I don't need that anymore. You're going to have that to happen to you. I still got things falling off of me, I know. But I can remember in my years of being in Christ with knowledge, things begin to fall off. Things I thought I'd never lose fell off. They were unnecessary. I didn't need them. And nobody went through that any more than the Apostle Paul. If you followed his life closely, you would see how he began to lose things that happened to him. For instance, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a hardcore Judaistic 
priest. I mean, he was hardcore. He was so definite in what his calling was as a Judaistic theologian, we might say, that he would destroy followers of Christ to get the attention. I think he wanted the attention of the Sanhedrin because he wanted to be a member of the Sanhedrin. He'd go to any end of that. All that had to fall off. Did God know that would happen to this man who would kill people for what he believed until one day that would fall off of him? He didn't believe that anymore. Boy, isn't that something? I mean, that digs deep, doesn't it? If he would kill for what he believed and one day admit he was wrong, that's some kind of growth, isn't it? And then he would come and accept Jesus and he'd be taken, he was taken over by the Pentecostal people then. He was a Pentecost. Paul started out as a Pentecostal Christian. Ananias, the Pentecostal brother, came, laid hands on him and ducked him in water and did all the things he could to make a good believer out of him. Paul spoke in tongues. You remember the many things he had to say to the church at Corinth from a Pentecostal viewpoint. But at the time he said them, he knew that that would fall off too, and it did. He said in the 13th chapter, these things would pass. They'd no longer continue. So you see, he went through the period where Judaism had to fall off of him. Pentecostalism had to fall off of him. Christ had to become all at some point. And he did. He did. So losing your life is not a simple thing. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to give up on who you think you are to be a Christian. A Christian is not a membership like a, uh, going to a... A club somewhere and joining. It's a life. So he that loveth his life is going to lose it, and he that keepeth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I'm in eternal life right now. Eternal life now. We're going to stop right here, but we'll pick up next week right where we left off on Warren Litzman's study of the cross. Thank you for all your wonderful enthusiasm about not only this podcast every week, but especially about this series on the cross. Please visit our website, Christ-Life.org. Christ-Life.org. Read all about us. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these messages. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes, and this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.